So if you will, if you will open up your program and we're going to have hashtag hope um, and we're going to talk about number five in the list, which is when life leaves you empty, when life leaves you empty. Now, as I shared with the first service, I got about two and a half hours sleep last night. And so uh, I need some love today. Okay, I'm going to lay down and sleep. All right. So make sure you give me a little energy today. And uh, I'm not feeling so well, and it's been a long weekend. But you guys are going to finish strong, and God's going to be honored, right? All right, good. So the very top of your outline, we've been saying this about the the hashtag hope, that miracles are to build our faith. So when Jesus did miracles in in, in his time on earthly ministry, it wasn't just to do miracles so that everyone would go, wow, that's kind of cool. It was to validate that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. But it was also to build their faith who those who would experience the miracles, those who would hear about the miracle, us today. And and as a result of our faith increasing, it would also, uh, or building, it would also increase our our hope in our life. And that has been a goal that we've had through the series, Hashtag Hope. I got a lot of good feedback from you guys, so I appreciate, uh, appreciate all the good stuff. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 5, and let me kind of set the scene for you. Um, Jesus had just performed his first miracle, which was the water into wine at the wedding. So the miracle that we're going to look at today is his second one. He is going to call four of his disciples uh, as part of this miracle. It is a fishing miracle. Any, any fishermen here? Just a couple of you? And then any fish storytellers? Yeah, I got Yeah, I once caught a fish about, I think it was about maybe that big, right around something like that, right? And every year the fish get bigger. Is that true? I know. You guys go down to Safeway, you buy the big fish in the thing, then you take it home and go, look what I caught, right? Sure, that's how it works. Well, this is one of those fish stories, uh, but it's true. It actually took place. So he's going to call Peter and and Andrew, who are brothers, and also John and James, um, who are brothers. They were fishermen by trade. Uh, They had a fishing business in the northern part of of Israel. And so there's a couple different names for the Sea of Galilee. We'll see one of them today. It's all the same area. We looked at that that area a couple weeks ago. Um, And so in this... In this miracle, uh, these guys are going to be out fishing for roughly 10 hours. They're going to fish all through the night, and they're going to catch nothing, right? Their nets are going to be empty. They're going to come up onto shore. They're going to clean out their nets, and they're going to recognize that they have actually nothing going on. Now, Jesus, although he had only performed one other miracle at this time, was still able to generate a large group of people. They were interested in hearing what he had to say. They were fascinated with, the, uh, with his teaching. And so they were following him around. And so we come to Luke chapter 5. And we're going to start in uh, verse number 1. So we ready? All right. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So that's also the Sea of Galilee. And there are several other names. Same area. With the people crowding around him and listening to, uh, to the, the word of God. So he was teaching the word of God. There's this large group of people who are around him. Verse 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Verse 3, he got into one of the boats and uh, the one that belonged to Simon, who would be Simon Peter, and asked him to put it out a little way from the shore. 
So here he is, he steps in the boat, it's sitting on the little sandy area, they push him out a little way from the, uh, from the shore, he sits down and he begins to teach the multitude, the crowd of people that had been following him. And so he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And so as I said, Jesus was able to attract at this point, even though early in his earthly ministry, a very large group of people. And so there are several reasons I'll just throw out because people always ask, well, why did he go into the boat? What was the reason? And we'll get into the real reason. But some people say that uh, water reflects sound better than, than, than dirt. Dirt has a way of absorbing ground, uh, absorbing sound. And so perhaps he went out into the water so that it would echo off the water and it would filter into the larger group of people. Um, that, that's a plausible. I actually think that there's a deeper meaning to it. I think that he's going to call four of his disciples who are fishermen. And I think he's going to use the boat as an illustration, which I'll share with you today. And he's going to use it as an illustration. And he is going to go out and he is going to wow them for something that they were unable to do. Because they had fished for, for roughly 10 hours and caught nothing in their, uh, in their nets that night. Verse 4. When they had finished, and we're going to come back to each of these, but we're just set, setting it up here. When, they had finished spe- when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. And so remember, they had already fished for 10 hours, all right? So now he's telling them, hey, go back out, let's go fishing. Verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and we haven't caught what? Anything. Our nets are empty, Right? Have you ever done that? Have you ever worked and worked and worked and worked and tried and worked and tried and you pull in your nets and they're empty? You ever done that? Sure, absolutely, right? In many areas of our life, not just out fishing, but in many areas of our life where we go out and we work and work and work, it just doesn't seem to... to to move forward, we give it our best shot, we study, we try, we read the books, we go to the conference, we go to the counselor, we do all the things that we're supposed to do, and it doesn't work. And we're like, man, why is it that I keep pulling in my nets and there's absolutely nothing in there? And so then I get a study partner, and then someone recommends, well, work harder, not dumber, whatever, however that phrase goes. And, And you just... Keep working, right? So you guys got the same memo I got from that time management class, right? So anyway, it was somehow you work smarter, not harder, and you know, don't hang out with dumb people while you're working or something like that, and it doesn't work. And at the end of the day, you go home and you're like, man, Lord, why is it that I keep pulling in my nets and there's nothing? Well, today's miracle really is all about that. And actually what we're going to see is we're going to see, they're not disciples at this point, but we're going to see them take four steps of faith that I believe is something that we need to do. And there's a huge, huge lesson in here. And there's all kinds of little subtle nuances to this miracle that that we'll point out as we kind of pull through this thing. And I think it's a a very cool story. So did we read verse 4? Let's go to verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night long. But uh, because you say so, I will go out and let the nets down. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, right? That's a lot of fish. That's not a fish story. That's the real deal. Verse 7, so they, uh, so they signaled to their partners. That would be James and John. 
and uh, in the other boat, come on over and help, help us out. They filled up both boats so full that it began to sink, right? And so here is a little cool thing in your outline. They caught more in 10 minutes than they had caught in 10 hours. This is what's called the, the miracle of acceleration, where God speeds up the process. When you understand the principle of the miracle of acceleration, you don't worry about timing. God can do more in 10 seconds than you can do in 10 years. God can do more in 10 seconds than we can do in 10 lifetimes. And that is a miracle here where these guys go out and they fish all through the night. They catch nothing. And we'll see in a moment. They allow Jesus in the boat. They allow him to give direction. They recognize that they're weak. They recognize what they're doing isn't working. They believe that he's going to change it. And in just a matter of a few minutes, they fill up all their nets, get their other buddies over here, their boat, fill their boat up, and they both go paddling into shore, and the boat begins almost to sink. And the blessing is, and the miracle is, when Christ is in the boat, he can do more in 10 seconds than we can do in a lifetime. And that's what we need to kind of hold on to and we'll work our way through uh, this whole thing. So there are four steps in which the soon-to-be disciples take. So steps to take when I am hopeless or when I'm in a hopeless situation. You feel like it's empty. You feel like you're just not able to get anything in your net. Number one in your outline is I need to give Jesus complete access to my life. I need to give Jesus complete access to my life. In uh, verse 3, going back there. <clears throat> so the difference between empty and overflow is, is Christ in the boat. And here, here's what we find in verse, th- uh, verse 3. He got into the boat, and uh, he began to uh, belong to Simon Peter, and he asked them to push him out from the shore, and there he sat down and he began to teach them. And so this is the starting point of your nets being filled. And, then, and it's kind of an interesting thing, as we're, we're going to look in a moment, what the actual boat represents in their life but when we get christ into our boat that is where the blessings begin if we do not allow him into our boats then we begin to have trouble now listen this isn't about salvation see oftentimes i think people talk about well this is jesus entering into a personal relationship with christ and we're actually going to see no that's actually at the end all right so here the boat had a meaning The boat is what Simon Peter and the rest of the fishermen made their living from. Okay, now now get a hold of this. One of the areas that are last for us to completely surrender to Christ is our vocation. We will surrender our heart. Lord, if I die, I'm going to heaven. Isn't that great? We, we will, in many cases, surrender our marriage. We will, in many cases, commit our children to the Lord. But our vocation, our job, is the one stronghold that we hold on to in hopes of having independence. It's that one thing that we think if we hold on to, we'll be in control. Lord, I'll give you everything else, but I'm not willing to surrender my boat and allow you to use it as a platform 
for your kingdom. And as I said, as one guy said in the first service, he, he, he said, that's absolutely right. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And that was honest. And I think that that's, that's a true assessment that many times, you know, we come in here, we're all Jesus freaks on Sunday, but man, Monday rolls around and we're holding on to that vocation. It's like, Lord, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'll give you some of it, but I'm not sure that I want to give all of it to you. And so here, he dedicates or he gives his boat, his complete, his career to Christ as the platform. Now, oftentimes we think that, well, Lord, when you bless me, then I'll serve you. And that's not the sequence here. The sequence is, Lord, I'll serve you, then the blessings come in. Right? We say, Lord, when you bless me on my job, then I'll surrender it to you and I'll serve you. But that isn't the sequence in which it goes. And certainly Matthew chapter 6 isn't speaking of that. And Matthew 6 verse 33 in your outline there. But seek, what's the word? First, right? The kingdom of God. That is in every area of your life, including your vocation. You are to seek God in every area of your life first. And as a result of that, then all these things will be added to you. And that is the right priorities that we are to have, that we are to put Christ in the boat, and He is to be Lord of not only our Sunday life, but He is to be Lord of our whole life. And for many of us, we struggle with surrendering that vocation because we want to hold a little bit of it on because we want to have a little bit of control. And so we hold on to it, and here we find that He surrenders His boat the Lord goes out in it, and we'll see in a few minutes, He gives the carpenter, gives the fisherman direction on how to catch fish, which is kind of interesting because it's not really what we're, what we're thinking in our life. And so oftentimes in our life, here's what we do. In the area of work, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of pull a little bit of a, a back and we'll hold on to it. We'll surrender everything else and then we just keep running our heads into the wall and we get frustrated and we wonder why work isn't, fulfilling and why it's not joyful and all this other stuff so then we say you know what i need to do i need to get a different net i just got to go find another net i gotta go find another fishing partner that last fishing partner not so good i gotta get a different one but unless you're willing to surrender all of the vocation you will always pull your nets up empty it's not your job that's causing you a lack of fulfillment it's your relationship with Christ that is your lack of fulfillment. A change of venue isn't always the answer. A change of heart is always the answer. Right? And so, so we see here that he's going to just surrender. He's going to give him access completely to his life. <laughs> Number two. The second thing is, is I admit that my efforts aren't working. You ever do that? Did I tell you I was tired? <laughs> Verse 4. <laughs> when he had finished sleeping, he woke up his congregation. When he, when he had finished speaking, you guys are quick. So. He said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for the catch. And Simon Peter answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything right anything and again i mean here is kind of the interesting dialogue this is 
the carpenter, Jesus, remember that's kind of what he's known for, telling the fishermen what to do. It's a little humbling, isn't it? Because you would say, if you were a fisherman, you would say, excuse me, I know fish, you know wood. All right? Go carve something, I'll catch something. Right? That's how, that's how we would do it. I mean, why would we think he would know our profession? And so what do we do? We keep trying, we keep trying, we keep trying, and it doesn't seem to work. So we try harder. Then we go through that whole thing, working harder, not smarter, and whatever else that phrase goes. So what's the cause of it in your outline? There are three reasons why I don't admit that it's not working. Pride, stubbornness, anybody? And fear. Pride, stubbornness, and fear. Pride is, that's that holding on to it. I'm not willing to surrender it completely. I want to hold on to it. Stubbornness. Just keep on trying. Someone said this. I thought it was actually kind of a cool thing. He, he, he says this. He said, yesterday's success will keep you from succeeding today. That's good. Because oftentimes what worked yesterday does not necessarily mean it's going to work today. It means it worked yesterday. Right? When you think about that in, in the scriptures, Moses leading the children out of Israel, it was a two-week journey. Took them how many years? Forty. Not very quick learners. Right? They come to a point in their life where they run out of water, and God told him, hey, just strike the rock with the rod, and water will come out. So Moses listens, hits the rock with, uh, with the rod, water comes out, supplies the water needs for everyone. A few years later, they have the same opportunity, run out of water. So what does Moses think? Hit the rock with the rod. God says, no, I want you to speak to it. No, no, no. I am a rock striker, not a rock speaker. Okay? It's two different things. So I'm going to do what worked before. Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of Israel, you will not bring this community into the land that I have given them. It's a big sin, right? So our stubbornness, because something worked in the past, does not necessarily mean that it's going to work in the future. And then the last one is the fear. And I think oftentimes, specifically talking about careers, is that we're afraid to let go of the wheel for fear that God's going to take us in a direction we don't want to go. And as long as you're fighting Him with the wheel, you're always going to be struggling with an empty net in your life. You've got to release the wheel and you've got to allow Him to, to be in control of your life. So He gives up the boat. He has complete access. He acknowledges his, uh, that he's not making it. Number three in your outline is that I need to obey whatever Jesus tells me to do. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it's not logical. Even when he has a profession different than yours. You are to listen to what he says. Simon, verse five, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Then watch, look at his response. But because, but because you say so, I will let down the net. And this is just a little side note. 
the key to a full net is becoming a person who says, Lord, because you say so. If you resist and you push back and you fight him for the control and you're not willing to give him the the boat, then your net is going to be empty more often than it's full. You've got to become, we've got to become people who are willing to say, Lord, because you say so. Not because it makes sense. Not because I'm smarter than the rest. Not because everyone else is doing it. None of that reason, but just simply because, Lord, because you say so, I will do it. Peter doesn't argue. Simon, at that time, he doesn't argue with them. I mean, he doesn't give them the whole, Lord, you're a carpenter, dude. I'm a fisherman. And probably, in just as Joseph was perhaps a, a, a carpenter, you know, uh, Simon and, and the whole crew, his grandfather was a fa- uh, fisherman, and it was probably a whole family business that they had going on. But he doesn't push back and argue. He doesn't push back and say, Lord, I just seem to know more than you do about fishing. He doesn't delay. And I think oftentimes we do that. The Lord speaks into our heart about what we need to do. It's like, Lord, I'm going to have a little committee, you know, right here between my ears. And uh, I got eight people right now. I'm going to invite the ninth one into my committee. And we're going to have a little prayer time. There's no delay. He launches out. He just heads out. There's there's not a delay in his obedience. He's obedient, and as a result of him being being a person who says, because you say so, because you say so, Lord, he is completely blessed so much that he has to invite his buddy over in a boat and they fill up his boat as well. So here's where we struggle with. We want step four. And Jesus say, no, no, first you've got to do one. Okay, let, let's get one down. And when you take step one in obedience, then I'll give you step two. Then I'll give you step three. Then I'll give you step four. But you've got to be willing to take those steps and you've got to be willing to allow him to walk you out in them. So let me just kind of pause for a second and ask this question to you. Is there an area of your life where God has spoken to you? He's given you that impression in your life and you know that he's spoken to you and you still have not obeyed him. Because, see, that's where you need to let go of the wheel and allow him to have control of your life and be that because-you-say-so person. But as long as you're going to fight and you're going to delay, then I ask you, which is it? Pride? Fear? Stubbornness? What is it that's holding you back from releasing and allowing him to take control? Did God call you to serve? I don't want to serve. Maybe God called you to follow the Lord in baptism, and you know when we have the public baptism up here, oh, I can't get in front of people. Maybe God's called you to forgive someone, and that's always a tough one. You need to go and forgive someone. Oh, you know, you don't know what they've done to me. If He's called you to do it, you've got to become a because you say so, Lord, person to do it. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to be logical. You may not get five other people. You may not get one other person to agree with you. But if he's given you those directions in your life, you need to be obedient. So look what he gives them. 
He gives them the win, which is the launch out. And oftentimes in Scripture where we, we kind of find that, that phrase launch out, it meant that there, it was going to be perhaps risky. It was going to take you out of your comfort zone. And there was going to be a little bit of a risk involved. And so he launches out. The second idea is he gives them the what? Let down your nets. And then he gives them the where? Into the deep. And so as God gives you the vision in your life, he's going to give you the when, the what, and the where. If you're willing to say, because you say so, Lord. Because you say so. And what's interesting is I reflected on that and I just kind of thought through. It's interesting that he tells them to go into the deep. Well, why, why, why would he say that? And this is just a side note. This is just my own kind of devotional time. I think it's because most of us want to do all of our fishing in the shallows. We don't want to go deep. We say we do. But the moment that he calls us into the deep, it's like, oh no, Lord, let me just kind of stomp. We're like a two-year-old in a rain, with a rain puddle, you know, where we, we want to jump into it and splash it up and go, <laughs> right? That's what we want to do. And it's cute when you're two. But when you're 42, not so much. Right? 52, 72, whatever it is. Right? But see, in order to catch the big fish, you've got to go into the deep. And you've got to be willing to go out there and risk in the deeps in order to experience the big fish. But I think too often as believers, we want to just kind of play in the shallows and we're not willing to go out into the deep waters and experience him in a greater way. Number four is I need to expect Jesus to turn things around. Anybody believe that? <laughs> Next week we're going to talk about the power of a sovereign Lord. Let me ask you again. I'm sure you're taking a nap. You, how many expect Jesus to t- turn things around? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, good, good. <laughs> Made me a little nervous, right? So he goes from an empty net to a full net. And he changed things around. Now, now get this, okay? This is kind of a cool thing. As we've watched in the miracles of Christ, Christ had power over the natural law. In this case, he has, he has power over nature. He's able to direct fish to swim into the nets in which the fishermen were fishing with. Okay? So that miraculously, they would haul up a boatload, two actually, of fish. Right? So, he had the ability to direct those fish to go into those nets. You got that picture in your mind? Okay, now, why is it so hard for us to believe that Jesus could direct us vocationally to a place that he wants us to go? Why is it so difficult for us to believe that he could direct us and guide us financially in our life? relationally in our life. Giving us wisdom and discernment in raising kids in our life. Well, why, why is it that we can read the miracle and go, wow, that's cool. He had power over nature to direct the fish, 
But when it comes to our life in some of those areas, boy, we just have a difficult time grabbing a hold of that. Doesn't he? Can he not guide you in a job? Can he not guide you financially? There's not many yeses. Can he give you discernment in your marriage? Can he heal a broken marriage? Can he heal a wayward child? Absolutely. Right? And and so there's just this little subtlety nuances in the miracle that if you just kind of pause and just kind of take in, it's kind of a cool thing to think about. Just as we looked at Jesus walking on the water, which was the very thing that the disciples were fearful of in the boat, he was walking on top of their troubles. Right? Our problems are under his feet as he walked across the water. Here he supernaturally guides the fish into the net in order for them to have this, this huge catch. And he can certainly do it in our life as, as well. Verse 6. When they had done so. When they had done what so? Well, <clears throat> when they had obeyed him, when they had allowed him into the boat, when they had given up their control when they had acknowledged what they were doing wasn't right, when they obeyed what he said, when they expected things to turn around, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Verse 7. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come over and help them. And they came over and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When they had done so, when they were willing To be obedient. So what changes from empty nets to full nets? It's the same fishermen. It's the same lake. It's the same net. It's the same boat. The first one is, they're on their own. The second one is, Jesus has been invited into it. Not only is He a part of their vocation, but He's giving them instructions on how to do their vocation. And as a result of it, their nets are completely full. And look at Peter's response in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, that's the miracle of the fish, he fell on his knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, I am sinful. In other words, and remember, they're not disciples yet at this point. They're going to be in a moment. But at this point, they're just fishermen, they're just businessmen. Verse 9, for he and all of his companions so all of them were astonished at the catch of the fish in verse 10 and uh and so were james and john son of zebedee simon who is their business partner um and so they all have this turning experience in their life verse 10 then jesus said to simon do not be afraid from now on you will catch men verse 11 so they pulled their boats onto the shore left them and they followed him Now let me share with you as a take-home in your outline. The take-home today, this miracle about fish is not about fish as much as it's about surrendering to the will of Jesus and obeying Him unconditionally. We want to focus on the fish. The reality is there is a surrendering and an unconditional obedience that allowed them to catch the fish. Because when we do not surrender and we do not completely obey Him, our life 
will be empty. And we recognize that in our life. And so when we sit in life and there's that emptiness and we just think, well, I just got to change boats. I got to get a different net. I got to get a different fishing partner. Listen, most times, that's not the case. Most times, it's a heart issue that I need to be willing to allow him to have complete access into my life, including the one strong area that we hold back, which is that vocation. And as you think through the week, I'll be willing to bet you that those of you who are working, there's that little bit of that work life that you're not really ready to completely surrender fully. And that is a picture for you. That is a picture for you of whether you are completely surrendering or not. If you hold back that 1%, you are not completely surrendering to Christ. Next step. Is he in your boat? We're going to get in that guy's boat. For those of you who are working, is he in your boat on Monday? I'll take you at your word and I'll challenge you. Is he Lord of your work? You think through that and I would be willing to bet the majority of us here He isn't. There's that area that we're holding back that we want to be in control of because we're fearful of living our life like this. Hands up, I own nothing. And that is a scary feeling to live that way. But as long as you live like this, your net will be empty. When you open your hands and you live your life, all your stuff, your kids, your house, everything that you have and are, when you live your life open-handed, you own nothing, you are simply a steward of what He's given you, and He has complete and full access in your life. And it will be a freeing experience in your life when you can do that. And your nets will be full. So much that you'll have to invite your friends over or me to share in God's blessings in your life. Let's pray.